remember when I you know, first, first came here to New Hope, it was not too long ago, July 2015. I got a, I got a message on Facebook from a brother, Justin Moncrief. You'll all remember him very well. He was our youth pastor. I, I had known him from our days at uh, Park Place. Our time there had just crossed by three, four months. I, I knew of him, and I, I knew Connie. Um, but I didn't know him like you guys would have gotten to know him because you would have known him longer. But I got that message, and he, he told me this church named New Hope is looking for a pastor. He wanted to know if I'd be willing to meet with the deacons. Of course, I said sure. But he didn't know at the time his... You know, I graduated seminary in May of 2015, and I, I kind of assumed that we would be in a place, you know, somewhere closer to where the school was. The school was located in South Dakota, and so I find it to be God's sense of humor that he'd send me 500 miles west to go to school, then send me five minutes down the road to, to where, where I was to be called. And I was one of the very first of my seminary class to get a call, and I praise God for that, but I see a lot of... A lot of humor in what, what God does at times. I remember sitting down with, with the, the deacons and, and talking, you know, and listening. And I, I've, at that time, I went through five or six uh, interviews um, with different churches at the time. And I was always told I finished second. I never understood why. Probably was the somewhere looking for somebody a little older with more experience, things of that nature. We all have our preferences. Um, but that wasn't from God's word. And we need to be people that are about God's word. But when I remember sitting down with them, and I'm like, this is the most unusual interview I've ever had. <laughs> Usually they, they'll go through all the, your, your, your questions, and it was kind of like they were randomly throwing out questions to see if they could throw me off. But one question I wanted to, to bring up to you today is Brother Darren asked, what is your vision for the church? And I didn't... My mic not on? Number seven is not muted. How about now? Any better? Yep. Hello? Okay. Now, saying this, Brother Darren asked me a question. He goes, what is your vision for this church? And I said, well, I don't know the people. How do you expect me to give the vision that God has if, if I don't know the people that he has provided? And so, I, you know, it's a bit of delayed time. I know it's customary for pastors to come in and set forth the vision that God has given them. But I, I feel too often times pastors come in and they say what they want. They don't really take that time to bathe it in prayer and say what God wants for the church, to get to know the people. I could t be honest with you, when I, when I got to know most people here, I could sense there was an <coughs> immense amount of pain that you guys have been through. And I wanted, before we did anything, to, to get us past that point where we were hurting. I know you had been wronged in the past. There had been pain in the past from, from within the church and without. And I pray we are now at a point, and I, I believe we are at a point where, where most of that pain has been healed to, to at least a, a healthy point. And there may still be scar tissue there, and we don't expect scar tissue to go away in a day or a year. Okay, I, I bring this all up because I believe now is the time to, to talk about the vision, talk about the way forward. You know, I later um, this morning... I'm, I'm going to set aside it. But to set aside a time to hear from you as well, some of the things you look fondly back in the past, but also some of the things you're looking forward to in the future. I want to be clear that the vision is given uh, to the leader of the church, to the pastor, but Jesus Christ is the one that gives the vision. This is not my vision, and this is not um, my responsibility alone. This is for all of us, to all be a part of. 
because we're all going to be part of the, the ministry that God has here at New Hope. So I think it's important to understand why vision. You know, that's, that's something that for a long period of time in a lot of churches wasn't something that's talked about. I don't know if this church has ever gone through any, anything similar to what we call vision casting or things of that nature. But I want to go through some of the people in, in Scripture and talk about visions that, that they have been given by God. Abraham was given a vision that one day that he would have a family that was so numerous if you looked up to the stars in heaven, you could not count the stars in heaven any easier than you could count his offspring. Or the, he was told, if you could count the sand in the sea, then Abraham, you'll be able to count your offspring. But even more than that, he was told that he would have a, a land that was promised to him. Land that would be flowing with milk and honey. It was... Be, became known as the promised land is what Abraham looked forward to later later on in generations, what they longed for. It is why Abraham got up and left his home, left his family, and left the pagan gods of his country and, and followed the one true God into the wilderness, into the desert for thousands of miles. And while he kept believing, even in the hardest of times, let's be honest, who here, God told you today, that you're not going to have any children until you turn 100 years old and your wife is 90. Would you believe him? Would you hold out hope for that vision that God has given you? That is not an easy vision to imagine for Abraham, and I think even less so than for Sarah. But he was given that vision and he kept it on. And one more thing about Abraham that was even, even greater than that is that he was told that one of his descendants would be the Savior. Amen? How much would, would he desire for that to happen? Jesus said, Abraham saw the day and was glad. Abraham didn't just wander through the wilderness because he had a feeling that God wanted him to. God told him, this is what I am going to do for you. I need you to be obedient. And Abraham was obedient for the most part. He had a few screw-ups there. We'll talk about Ishmael another day. We, we look on, we, we see others, uh, such as Noah. Hey, Brother Mike, would you like to be told by God, I want you to go and build an ark for 120 years. Meanwhile, you're to preach the gospel. Come here every Sunday and preach the gospel, and you'll have exactly zero converts for 120 years. That was the call of Noah. Now, if we're, we're honest, there's not a church in this land that would keep a pastor for 120 years with zero converts. They wanted. I know y'all love me, but you want me. And that is just the honest reality that Noah had. But Noah had a vision that was given by God of what was coming. The earth was going to be plunged into judgment, into the great flood, and that the way for his family to be saved was for him to be obedient to God and build the ark. And that not only would his family be saved, but all of creation, all the animals that were out there, that at least a male and female of each kind would be saved, and that his family, along with these animals, would repopulate the earth. We, we look to King David. We call him King David whenever we, we talk about him. There's, there's very few people that, that get that kind of announcement. There's, you, know, you think about it, we, when we, we say the name Abraham, or even Saul, we don't say King Saul, but it's always King David. But the great irony of King David is most of his life he wasn't king. He was a young boy told by the prophet Samuel as he's tending sheep and Samuel comes out to him and takes a jar of oil and pours it over his head. And he says, God has appointed you to be the next king of Israel. Now I don't know what David 
would have been thinking like, maybe when I'm 18 I become king. It was very common for children to become king. If when the king dies, whoever next was in line, whether you were three or 30, you'd become king. But King David, he didn't become king right away. In fact, the very king that he grew to know and love and, and consider like a friend and even married one of his daughters, that very king would try to kill him and chase him down like a dog for most of his life. But God gave him, had given a vision to David. Not just that he would be king, but that a day would come when he would have a descendant who would be king forever. And that descendant would be the Lord himself. Imagine being given that vision. What it would have been like for David. We see at the end of David's life as he is king and reflecting back on all he has. He, he looks out and he sees his beautiful palace. And he looks and he sees God's beautiful palace, right? It's a tent. And he says, how can I go on living in this beautiful place when God's house is made out of fabric? With a place where God dwells is a tent. And so he sets out and he desires and he goes to the prophet Nathan and he says, I have a desire to build God a temple where his presence can dwell, where the people of Israel can come and worship him. What does God tell him? says, yes, I have given you this vision, but it's not for you to do. And some visions require multiple generations. Some visions will start with us and will end with our children. That has to be okay with you. We don't have to get the glory for what God is going to do. Amen? Solomon will get the glory. It is still to this day, when people talk about the temple, sadly they don't say the Lord's temple, Yahweh's temple, Jehovah's temple, the God Almighty's temple. No, they say Solomon's temple because he is the one who would build it. But it is ultimately, it is God's temple. We see the obedience of David. Go on to, to Joseph. Think about what it would have been like for Joseph. Joseph is given this grand vision, and he's, uh, he's not well liked for it. You know, maybe there's been time where God's told you you're going to do something, and it brings about jealousy, or that others are going to do something for you, and they don't like it too much. That was Joseph's. He has this dream where the sun and the moon and the 11 stars are bowing down before him. And of course, like a smart young gentleman, he arises and he's... He tells his brothers and his father, and he says, I had this wonderful dream. The sun and the moon bowed down to me, and the eleven stars as well. They all bowed down to me. Mm, what did that dream mean? Jacob was no fool. He knew what it meant. Jacob was the sun, and the moon was his wife. The eleven stars were Joseph's brothers. They didn't like this too much. Fast forward the story a little bit. They see an opportunity that is beyond sinful. They capture Joseph. They take the, the coat of many colors and they dip it in pig's blood so his father will think he is dead and they sell him into slavery in Egypt. Did that stop God's vision from happening? No, it actually is the reason it comes about. Because then a great famine will hit the land and while Joseph is enslaved and ends up being accused of rape and is put in jail for a crime he did not commit in a land that is not his own, he was despised and rejected if there ever has been a person despised and rejected. Many will tell you in the Old Testament, of all the people most like Jesus, you can picture Joseph. Despised, arrested for a crime he did not commit. But God was not done with Joseph. God's vision would take place. 
as you know the story, there was the cupbearer of Pharaoh and the baker that were thrown in prison because somebody tried to poison Pharaoh. Not a smart move. It's not going to end well for anyone. And so first the cupbearer comes forth and tells Joseph of this dream because they, they heard that, that God would tell him the interpretation of the dream. So Joseph gives him a good report. So now the baker speaks up and the baker doesn't get quite the good report. And that the baker will be beheaded in three days. While the cupbearer says, I will remember you, Joseph. But does he really remember Joseph? No, he leaves him in prison to rot until it is useful for the cupbearer. Until there's a great need by Pharaoh. And, he, and finally Joseph is, is called out of prison. And, and through, through God moving and showing his grace to Joseph, he ends up becoming number two in all the land, very similar later on with Daniel in, in Babylon. He becomes number two. And of course, uh, to, to wrap that story up, the family has to come to Egypt because there's a great famine and, and only Egypt has food to provide. Why? Because God placed Joseph in charge. And Joseph knew the famine was coming and he knew how to provide for the people of Egypt but also the visitors that would come. And eventually the day came where his brothers bowed down to him. The vision comes true. Joseph had to be obedient. And he had to learn to wait on God's timing. Now Moses, now if there ever was a man given a vision, it was Moses. He literally saw a bush burning. You and I, we, we probably aren't going to have that occurrence. If you do, let me know. We need to talk. <laughs> You're probably not going to see a bush burning with the very voice of God audibly coming out of the bush. But if you think about Moses' life, what a life it was. He was the moment he was born, there was an order given by Pharaoh to execute him and all the other Hebrew boy slaves. And so he is placed in the river and he's plucked out by the very people who want him dead. I also find God's sense of humor in that. You're going to try to kill my prophet, I'll have you raise him. And that's what happened. He's, he's raised by the Egyptians and grows up to be known to be an Egyptian. But of course as the time comes, he realizes who he is and who his mother is and who his father is. And he desires to set them free. And in doing so, he desires to do it in his own way. So he somehow thinks by, by killing one of the, the taskmasters that this is going to set his people free. And of course, he has found out and he has cast out and exiled out of Egypt. And what happens? He spends the next 40 years in the wilderness. That is a long time. By the time Moses comes back to set his people free, he is 80 years old. Who here is younger than 80? Okay, I... I don't want anyone here to tell me you're too old to be used by God. If God could use Moses and Noah, God will use you. Amen? Amen. And so what we have, Moses has this family, he sets out, and he's getting comfortable in the wilderness. And all of a sudden, he's up on that mountain, the bush is burning, and he's told to go to Egypt and set my people free. Now Moses... You know, we think about he's not told to be a grand speaker. I, I can identify with Moses. I am not a very loud speaker. I need the, the speakers and the microphone to, to be able to project my voice so you can hear it just in this room. Moses, we believe, was, was a person who mumbled or uh, somewhere along that lines. He, he's said to be weak in speech. But God provides his brother for him, Aaron. And he goes, and he has to go into Pharaoh's house, and instead of right away, he says, let my people go. And he does his little trick with the, the staff and the snake eating the other snakes, which I find pretty impressive. I have no idea how he did that outside of the power of God. But it did not impress Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, be gone. Tell the slaves to, to make 
to make the bricks without any straw. He may, it makes lives harder for his people. Over and over again, he did a mighty work showing that God is in control and God is telling Pharaoh to set the people free, but he refuses to until the final plague, which we, we now know as Passover. But the angel of death visits Egypt and all those that have the blood on the doorposts are saved. It's a foreshadowing to the blood of, of Christ on the cross. And it's not till then does, does Moses get to set the people free. But it's in, in that vision by Moses wasn't just to set the people free. God had him to deliver them where? To the same vision he had given to Abraham, to the promised land. It was first given to Abraham, then Isaac, and then Jacob. And then, then through Joseph, but Joseph dies in Egypt. But he's told, you will be carried out of Egypt. Your bones will be carried out and you will rest with your fathers in the promised land. 400 years later after they enter Egypt as slaves. And then, of course, as Moses, you probably think, well, we just defeated Pharaoh. We've been set free. The hard part is behind us, right? Wrong! What is meant to be 40 days because of sin becomes 40 years. And because of Moses' own sin, he is only ever permitted to view the promised land, the vision that God had given him. He is not able to cross over it. Do not think God will be mocked. He will not. If he did not spare Moses, do not expect him to spare us when we sin. But Moses was obedient, and he handed the rings over to Joshua, and Joshua takes the people into the promised land. Of course, Joshua has a vision of, of settling the land. To, he goes in as a warrior, because while this land is theirs for the taking, there are many mighty men in this land that need to be subdued for them to be able take the land and give the territories to the 12 tribes. But Joshua does this and he is faithful. We can look at others. The, the one oftentimes referred to when we talk about visions is Nehemiah. Nehemiah was, was the cupbearer for, for the king in Persia and it says that his, his face was downtrodden and the king noticed it. And he said, what is the matter? And he said, I've been praying to my God. Key number one, it all starts with prayer. I've been praying to my God and he has put a vision in my heart to go to the city of my fathers in Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls. And the king permits him to do so. Now this was not an easy task at all. And the people around him, the, the Arabs of those days, they mocked them and tried to stop them. But Nehemiah would not be stopped. God's vision was carried out through his obedience. We see Jeremiah is given a vision of his people being taken away into slavery but that God would bring them back and bless them and build them up stronger than they were. And when they come back, they would be a faithful people. It took 80 years of slavery. That's your Jeremiah 29, 11 verse we all love to quote. I have, where it says, God has a hope and a future for you. He does have a hope and a future, but careful in claiming that first unless you're ready for 80 years of slavery first. That is what the people went through with Jeremiah. We can look at Peter. He was, he was given a vision of, of being, being a leader in the church. He is the first one to publicly profess that Christ is Lord. Something Jesus said, this has been revealed to you by the Father. But Peter had it hard. I want you to think about the great leaders of the world and what it would have been like to be the person that takes place after them. What it would have been like for Peter. Jesus, God himself, who has died for your sins, 
who has established the church, who is now ascended to the right hand of the Father, says, Peter, now it's your time. Your time to go to Jerusalem. Go to the very city where they just crucified me and preach the gospel. It was not easy for Peter. A day would come where they, they would put him in chains and pin him to a cross upside down and mock him as he dies. But the vision God had given him for the church and establishing the church had been carried out. We can think of the Apostle Paul. At that time, he would have been known as Saul. His vision, his desire in his life was to see the Israelites saved, to, to see his brothers saved. But God gives him a vision. Literally, Jesus Christ stops him on the road to Damascus, blinds him until he's willing to cooperate with God's vision. What is God's vision for Paul? I want you, Paul, the Jew of all Jews, to go to the Gentiles and tell them about Jesus Christ so that they may be saved. And I will have you, Paul, a Roman citizen, go to Rome and tell Caesar himself that I am Lord and he will behead you for it. That is what awaited Paul and he did it willingly and gladly for the glory of God. Amen? And above all, we have the great vision of Jesus Christ. If there's anything the scripture tells you from beginning to end, it is about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about you. It is about Jesus. Jesus came, why? Jesus came to this earth, why? To live a good life? To have his best life now? To be a good person? No, he came to go to the cross to die for our sins. And he did it willingly and gladly. Why? Because God the Father had given him a vision beyond the cross. He saw that he would rise on the third day, and he saw you and I in that vision, that we would be called sons and daughters of the Most High God. You and I, we, we are told when we get to heaven, we will have an inheritance. We will be given a crown of glory. Things unimaginable, Paul says. But what is offered to Christ? You. You are the inheritance that Christ waits on. You are why he went to the cross. You are the vision of God to Jesus. That is why he goes to the cross. Christ is obedient in all things, and we should be as well. And finally, I'll, I'll finish the, the biblical accounts of the visions with John. The Apostle John, the, the beloved disciple of Jesus, he is, he is given a, a grand vision of the end of the world. One that would make most people absolutely tremble in fear to have to report. And it is not easy for John to get this report out. First, he is enslaved on the island of Patmos, not knowing if he'll ever get off. And why was he enslaved on the island of Patmos? Because they couldn't kill him. They literally tried to boil John alive in oil. And by the grace of God, his flesh did not die. He should have died. This is a miracle, no doubt. This is God preserving him. So those words Jesus speaks to Peter, what is it to you if he lives till I come again? Peter had his job to do, and John had his job. And we have our job. I shared last week um, that my, uh, you know, for the new year, my goal is this verse from 1 Corinthians 11, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. You know, or to, to say of a recent gift I received from my bride, as, as it is engraved, it says, Abba, Father, help me to follow you so I can lead them. 
I want to be more like Christ so you see more of Christ in me. So you want to be more like Christ. Amen? I, I pray that, that when you look, and I, I want us all this month, every day, to pray that God would individually speak to us on how we are to partake in what God is going to do here in New Hope. How, how are you going, going to be part of it? Now, I don't care what, what status you are in life, rich or poor, young or old, adult or child, whatever disabilities, things you may encounter in your life, God has a purpose why you are here. Absolutely. You are invaluable to God. He has you here for a reason. I told you when I first came, one of the few, few things I said is that God is going to, to purge this church. He's going to purify it by fire. And he has done so. And now it's time to, to get on with the work that he has given us to do. Before I, I say exactly what it is, I want us to understand there's a difference between mission and vision. If I were to ask you what the mission of the church, and I mean Jesus' church as a whole, all around the world, what is it? Making disciples. Matthew 28. When they saw him, they worshipped him. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If a mission of a church is not this, they are not a church. This is the command that we are to be obedient to. This comes from Jesus Christ to his disciples for all time. If you want to be a people that, that are proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded, then you are genuinely a church. Now when I say vision, I am talking about our individual church. How do we go about fulfilling our part in that mission? You can think of, uh, oftentimes when we hear the word mission, we think of the, the astronauts going to space or military uh, missions. And with, with either one of those, you, you have commanders who, who, who are, are making the plans and then they'll send out the troops or send the astronauts into space. And we all have an individual role to play in that. We, we all are to take place in that. And when the, the mission of God is complete... A glorious day that's going to be. Do you know what that means when the gospel has gone forth to the ends of the earth? That every tribe, tongue, and nation has heard the gospel? Christ comes back. It is the greatest news in the history of the world. That means Christ is here on earth. You've seen him descend. You've descended with him. He has established his throne in Jerusalem. And the millennium has begun. It is the, going to be the greatest moment in the history of the church. That is truly when he'll be able to say, well done, my good and faithful servants. And that's what I want for all of us. At the end of our lives, I want you to be able to stand before God and have him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? We go on and talk about the vision here. There's one thing I want to touch on real quick before that is, if you were to ask somebody if they were a Christian today, Say over 84% of this people of the, the people in this country would say yes. There's a recent survey that, that was put out to the youth, and by youth they're saying 25 and younger, you're 16 to 25 year olds, of what it means to be a Christian, of those who claim to be a Christian. And of, of those that claim to be a Christian, only 17% 
match the, the traditional definition of believing that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, that he rose on the third day, he died for your sins, and he is returning again. You know what the rest said? Said being a Christian, is that they, they've come to call it a moralistic therapeutic deism, which is a big fancy word. For they, they really believe that God exists, the God who exists created the world and watches over all human life. That he wants us to be good and nice people. And that being good and nice people, they believe will get them to heaven. And that when they come to church to hear a sermon, they view it as therapy. That you come to hear a sermon because, you know, there's something wrong with your life and the pastor will help you on how to change those around, how to help you feel happy. That is not preaching at all. That is not the gospel at all. That is not Christianity at all. But I think, and, and I think many of us can look at others and, and see how they've come to grasp this slowly it's creeped into, this, into the church in America about what, what, what it used to be to preach the gospel versus what it is today. When I say preach the gospel, I mean preach Jesus Christ. If I ever asked you to, to, to stand behind this pulpit, I expect you to preach Jesus Christ. If you don't, that'll be the last time you preach. There's people all across this country today that are going to church and they're hearing someone talk, but they're not hearing someone preach. They're hearing someone tell them about how to improve their life and how, how God wants good things for them. Yes, I agree. God wants good things for you. But what God really wants is you to be obedient and trust in His Son, Jesus Christ. On my daughter's Friday, I was asking somebody if they had made any resolutions for the new year. They said, well, I'm just going to be the best me I can be. Well, that's good, but it'll still end you up in hell. You could be the nicest person you want. It doesn't mean you're going to heaven. It just means you're a nice person from the world's point of view. But we're not judged by the world's point of view, are we? So what I'm about to utter is, is the vision that God has given me for this church. And I say this because we need to have a generation rise up who knows what the gospel is and knows what's at stake and knows how important it is. I believe, with all sincerity, that if I were to live in the natural years that God has given me, I will see the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that with everything I am. If you don't, we can talk after service. But I firmly, I firmly believe that with everything I am. And I also firmly believe the majority of those that call themselves Christians have been deceived. They've been shared a gospel that is not the true gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is what God has spoken. The vision for New Hope is to train up and equip people to be followers of Jesus Christ through his gospel, living cross-centered lives that impact our community for the glory of God. What exactly does that, that mean? It means that we have to be driven by the gospel, that we have to be genuine followers of Jesus. We see time after time... What happens in the Gospels when, when Jesus has a great large following? You know what happens when, when there's thousands of people gathered around and he's, he's fed them the bread and they're mesmerizing the fish and he's done miracles. And then what, what is the next sermon as they're following him? They're ready to make him king. What does he say? He says, eat my flesh and drink my blood or you'll have no part of me. He hits them with one of the hardest sermons ever to be heard. Why? 
Because he knows their hearts. He knows if you're really following him or if when you come on Sunday morning, you come because it's what you always do. You come because you enjoy talking to people. You enjoy the fellowship. Do you enjoy Jesus? Do you enjoy the sacrifice he is calling you to make? There, there's no halfway with Jesus. You're either going to come down and you're going to kneel before Jesus in awe and reverence and respect. Or there's another side, which I will equally respect, that Jesus scares the living hell out of you. And you will come down and kneel. I respect that just as much. There, but there is no in-between. You don't get to say, well, I like Jesus. Like I like football. Like I like a double-pound double cheeseburger. You don't get to like Jesus like that. When he calls you to come, he says, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And then later he says, they call to follow me. They call to come and die. Are you willing to die for Jesus? If you are, then you can call yourself a follower. The difference between the followers and the fans to steal a line from our non-fan series the men's group did is, is that when it gets tough, the fans are just fans. They go home. Think about it. I know we have a few Alabama fans in this room. Tomorrow night, Alabama's playing for the national championship. If they win, you'll be happy. If they lose, you're just a fan. You had no sake, sake in the game at all. You weren't playing on the field. You didn't sweat it all for them. You didn't train out. You didn't run the laps. You didn't do the push-ups. You didn't do any of that. Think about it. The next time there's a political election and, and you place your vote and you get upset because your party doesn't win, what are you out? And the reality, you're just a fan. You have no skin in the game. You have no stake in it. Jesus says, you must crucify your flesh daily. You must follow me daily. There's no selling Jesus. In our not this church specifically, in the time I've been here, but in the American church as a whole, we've, we've done something to Jesus. We've dressed him up and put all the fancy wrapping on. We've made him seem more appealing to, to the masses, saying, this, this Jesus, you need him. He's got a gift for you. It's all shiny. You, you want to take it. And so what do they do? They, they take that version of Jesus. They don't take the real Jesus. Again, I'll, I'll borrow an analogy I heard. Imagine you have a daughter. She's now in her late 20s, going into early 30s, and she hasn't found that husband you desire for her. So you put out an ad in the newspaper. And you t talk about how, how great she is and all the qualities she has. And so you start fielding calls and start interviewing the, the men that, that could be possible suitors for her. What have you done to her? Excuse me for being crass, but you've prostituted her. You've cheapened her. You've taken her from the precious gift of God that she is and made her seem like you're doing her a favor by taking her. We, we oftentimes will make people think, you're doing Jesus a favor. Just come down and accept him and, and he'll be your genie in the bottle and everything will be great. I spoke with Billy this week. He's having a hard week. 
obviously. But his faith is still strong. Now some will say, well, if you were a Christian, why'd your house burn down? There will be people out there that will say that, that, that will mock it. Really, God doesn't promise you your house is not going to burn down. He promises he'll be with you in the fire. He'll be with you through the storm. So we will preach the gospel. I will preach the gospel with everything I am, with as much passion and love as I have for Jesus Christ. To my very dying breath, I will do that. I will pray for you. Now, I'm going to ask you now, are you willing to go deeper in your study with the Lord? Are you willing, wherever you are, I know there's some that are very mature believers in here right now. I am asking you to go deeper. And for those of you who say, you know what? I know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. I know He died for my sins, but that's about all I know. I am asking you to go deeper. We're already putting things in place with our men's and women's ministries. There will be other things in the future that we put in place. As we go forward, I'm going to ask you to be willing to commit to Jesus that you will go further in your walk with Him, that you will truly follow Him. Because when you do that, you become the light of Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you'll live a cross-centered life. What do I mean by that? Is that the cross, Jesus Christ, is the most important thing in your life. That Him dying on the cross, giving you new life, is the most important thing you have ever experienced. And you can't help but tell others about Jesus. You can't help but show by how you live that what really matters is not the stuff that literally will be burned up one day, but that what Christ has done for you, what He's done for your spouse, what He's done for your family and your kids, and you share with others. And when we do that, we will impact this community. But it starts with us. We have to be really willing to be followers of Jesus Christ. Not just say, say it. We all say the right church word. We've been in church long enough. But to really live it out. When there's a brother or sister in need, to go and meet that need. Not have to be told, but to go because you know it's what Christ would have you do. Because it is what Christ would do. Are you willing to be Christ to the world? That's what we are called to do, is to be like Christ. That is what the word Christian originally means, is little Christ's. That is what he's called you to do. But be honest with yourself. If you're not willing to be a follower, be honest. Don't say you're willing to go all in when you're not. Because you will burn out. Because you will not be able to, to live to what God is calling you if your heart is not in it. When, we, when I talk about why this is and what will this accomplish, this will accomplish... At the very least, all of us being told, well done, my good and faithful servants. We will be Christians who are worthy of the name Christian. We will stand before Jesus Christ in all his glory, not have to be trembling and afraid, but experience that awe to be in his presence. That we will have uh, gifts to offer him through sacrifices, whether it's financial, whether it's our, our time or our skills. Everyone here has been gifted by God. Raise your hand, everyone. I want you to say, I've been gifted by God. Now we use my gift for God's glory. So I want you to think about what your gift is. Many of you have multiple gifts. It doesn't just have to be the spiritual ones. 
I've seen firsthand the artistry of David in a gift that I received. I've seen firsthand Brother Paul's woodworking ability. I've heard many of you sing on Sunday morning. You sing beautifully. I ponder why there's not a group behind me on Sunday morning singing praise and worship. I look forward to the day where when we put slides together, we don't have to put the audio tracks behind them. That there will be a worship band up here. And I'll see Brother Jaime up here playing those drums. I, I know you've had it in the past. I got CDs. I can hear Brother Mike's voice on it. I know you have all been giving gifts. Gifts of compassion, gifts of help, gifts of service. Oftentimes we only want to want to look at the gifts that, that get man's attention, such as preaching. Preaching is a holy responsibility, but it is not, it's not any greater than any other gift God has given you. Use your gifts for God's glory. A day is going to come very soon where we are training up future deacons and pastors. Some of it's already begun. A day is going to come where we send out missionaries from our own church. I look forward and long for that day. A day is going to come where, where we're out in this community serving them. Whether it's at a baseball game, whether it's with VBS, those various type things, so we can get to know the people. I'm going to invite people from this neighborhood to come and dine with us on occasion. So we can hear what their life is like, what they're going through. So we as a church can know how to help them. To show them that we care, that we love them. Because Jesus loves them. That is why we do what we do. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I encourage you this week, let us all be in prayer for how God will use us in this. I said, I am willing to be, be all things for you, whatever it is that you need. If, if you need more training in Scripture, I will meet with you. We can study together. We will put study groups of, of the men or women or, or young couples or whatever the groups need to be. We can put things online to help you throughout the week. We will do all those things. But ultimately, it takes commitment on, on your end as well. Do you want to be everything that Jesus wants you to be? I, I heard a brother this morning talk about how, how many here feel like they're not being used by God. They don't feel worthy. I remind you that Jesus found you worthy enough to die for. You're more than worthy enough to serve him. Amen? Absolutely true. I found that true for about five years of my life. I was running from preaching. It really scared the hell out of me. So now before we close in prayer and have our altar call, I, I want to hear from you what you see for the future of this church and also some of the fond memories you have in the past because I, I hope you saw the theme when I read of the various people in scripture of what was going on with Abraham's vision with Moses' vision, with David's vision if you look at all their visions it's really all one it's all pointing to Jesus and the vision, the command that Jesus has given us to go and proclaim him it is all tied together as one our, our vision in this church may be a little different from the church down the road because God has gifted us uniquely
for this time in this place, in this community. So let me hear from you now. Look, Paul. Amen. What else? What does God have put in your heart? What is the desire that you see for the church? Go ahead, honey. I preach in this church that it will come true whatever problem comes. Amen. I want you to remember who God is. We're not limited by a building. We're not limited by money or the community that we're in or the, the feeble talents that we have. We, we serve a mighty God who is able to do literally anything. So what has God placed in your heart for the future of this church? Go there. I think that uh, I'm throwing myself in the pot. That I was here when we had that singing group. It was good. I yep. uh, personally, I couldn't carry a, a tune in a bucket, five-gallon bucket. I tried, but it doesn't work. You make a joyful noise? Oh, it's just, it's just tell you. <laughs> but I think the problem is very basic. You touched on it a little bit in Sunday school. People are inherently afraid. They're afraid of not succeeding. Afraid of being ridiculed. Afraid of having someone look and say, Oh, that isn't very good. That doesn't sound good. Boy, you a you know, you're a loser. They're afraid of that. Some people can handle it. Doesn't bother me a bit. Other people can't. So I think the church has to come together hey, give it a try. Do the best you can do. We'll help you. Absolutely. And I remind people, all these people that I mentioned, with the exception of Jesus, all of them faced obstacles, and all of them failed at times. It's not the failing that was the problem. Is that, are they going to get back up? God is going to call you to do things. I said last week, you're going to have to get out of your comfort zone. When we get to the part in the Gospels in the next you know, several months, we're going to be going through the Gospels, verse by verse. We're going to see what Jesus said, why he did his miracles. There's a part where Jesus sends his disciples out two by two. That won't be comfortable. It wasn't comfortable for them, it won't be comfortable for us. But we have to be willing to get outside of our comfort zones if we're going to see what God is going to do. He told Abraham literally to get up and move a thousand miles from his home. And Abraham did it. And he screwed up a lot along the way. We're going to make mistakes. But we can't let that hold us back. I want you to think about the past. You can tell me about the past now. What are some of the glorious things that you remember? A lot of people getting saved. A lot of people getting saved. Amen. Absolutely. I pray you remember a lot of people getting saved. A lot, a lot of baptisms. I pray you remember church revivals and singings where we worship God. I know you have many memories long before I came. I see that board of pastors. I know there's you know, good men that came before me. 
And you had good times. Uh, we will have ordinations again in the future. We will grow as a church, first spiritually, in our walk with the Lord, and that's when you'll see the numerical growth so many want to see. I want to remind us that we're not to judge success by the world's standards. The world will judge success by how many people are here, how big our building is, and how big our bank account is. That is not success by God's standards. Success is, is going to be measured in, in our walk with Jesus. Are we walking closer with Him today than we were yesterday? Are we bringing more people to Christ than we ever have? Whether. You and I talked before about uh, that radio, radio station and that. I think that we cannot be afraid to try something different. Absolutely. To, to break out, like you said, out of our comfort zone. Everybody has their own comfort zone. I know I have one. But to break out, it's not easy because, well, sometimes it might be a little bit uh, uncomfortable because you're not comfy. But at the same point, can't sit here and expect you to do everything. It's not, it doesn't work. No, it's, one of the problems we have in America is we've made our pastors into CEOs, and so we kind of view them as employees who can tell what to do, and we expect them to do everything. In reality, what is the job of a pastor, biblically speaking? I know you know. What is it? And to equip the saints for the, for the work of the kingdom. Now, does it say it's the pastor's job to do all the work of the kingdom? No, I am to equip you. You're to do the work. It says I am to pray. I am to devote myself to the, to the preaching and teaching of God's word. And I am to equip the saints. I will pray. I will preach the word with all that I am. And I will do everything I can to equip you. It's up to you if you're going to serve. So I've asked you, are you willing to follow him? Don't put an asterisk on it. When I ask you, are you willing to follow him? And he says, go and do this. Go and do it. If he says, go home, sell your house, move to another country, be a missionary, and proclaim the gospel, do it. If he says to, to, to go visit people in the hospital when they are in need, go do it. Whatever it is. If, you're, if he's calling you to, to be the best mother you can be so that your child will grow up in the ways of the Lord, do it. Whatever God is calling you to. I'm going to close now in prayer. I like those that will be back tonight to talk about this more. And to really get a conversation going. Because like I said, this is not just about me. This is about us. And what God is going to do through us. So I want you honestly to think about the way it has been in the past and, and the way you see it going in the future. Understand that God is with us. He wants big, bold prayers. The other one prayer say, I hope someone visits church next week. Or he wants prayers like, God, I hope you would see this entire community saved. One of my prayers is, one of the first things I was told when I came here, that this used to be the community's church. That literally everybody in the community would come here because this church was viewed as the community's church. Times have changed. Other people have moved in. It's not viewed that way anymore. It's the church you pass by. You're going to a mega church out on 30. 
whatever it may be. I've heard different stories. But I believe that if we are being real followers of Jesus, it will be contagious. People will want to know what's going on. A day will come where this church grows, first to a hundred, then to a thousand, whatever it may be. And if we're going to do construction next door, it won't be because we need to build a fellowship hall, but because we are acting like a seminary and training future pastors and missionaries to go out. Ones that don't care about the piece of paper, but care about the kingdom of God. That's what I see. I, I see us being a, a catalyst for, for a new movement of God in this area. Where people will say, that, that is how a real church is done. That is what it means to follow Jesus. But ultimately, it starts with me, but all of us. We have to commit ourselves to the Lord. He has to mean more than a Sunday morning. I encourage you to come tonight. We are going to have a great time of prayer. We're going to discuss and have an open discussion. I want to hear from all of you. I know you all have ideas, things you'd like to see. Things you wouldn't like to see. I know we all have fears and change. This is a good time. I pray a day will come when we will all look back at this and say, this is the moment we started to see God moving in our church. I know the pain you've had in the past. My prayer is that pain is over forever. That nobody will ever hurt you as you have been in the past. That the only time we have sadness is that bittersweet sorrow sadness when believers go home. But we are happy for them because they're home. But it's bitter because they're no longer with us. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, Lord Jesus, I give you thanks for this day. Give you thanks for the many blessings you give us, Lord God. Be with us, Lord. Watch over us and guide us in all things, Jesus. In your holy name. Amen.